Welcome to the Retiring Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we will discuss how to defer taxes on the sale of your property, earning passive real estate income, and everything you need to know to go from active investor to passive investor. Join us as we interview passive investment sponsors, explore the journey of other retiring real estate investors, and share our due diligence process we perform to select passive investments. Investment advisory services provided by Insight Investment Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This podcast is only intended for clients and interested investors residing in the states in which we are registered to provide investment advisory services or exempt from registration. Please contact us to determine if the firm provides investment advisory services in the state where you reside. All content on this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Material presented is believed to be reliable sources, and no representations are made by our firm as to another party's informational accuracy or completeness. Insight Investment Advisors LLC and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing herein should be construed as such. Always consult with your tax advisor or attorney regarding your specific circumstances. Welcome to another episode of the Retiring Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Bruckman, and I'm joined by our co-host, Josh Wright. Josh, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Um, awesome. So super excited. Today is our first episode of what we're calling the DST Megacast. So we're going to walk through every aspect of the Delaware Statutory Trust. I've got eight episodes planned for us, eight separate episodes, Josh, for us to walk through everything you can think of here from advantages, disadvantages, to the way we think about underwriting, what's a sponsor, just basically everything we cover with with clients, we're going to break that up into a few different episodes and then, heck, we'll slam it together. If someone wants to listen to multiple hours of, of us talking about this, they can they can do that too. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, who, would, come on. who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to listen to that? So today, today we entitled episode one, simply what is a Delaware statutory trust? What is a DST? So we'll just go over the overview, the structure, a little bit of the history and then Josh, I know you have a story for us about, you know, the precursor or the predecessor to Delaware Statutory Trust um, and some, some aspects of how that might not have worked. So inevitably, and I'm sure this happens to you, Josh, every time we go and, and speak in front of potential investors, we ask them what a 1031 exchange is and everyone raises their hand. And then we ask them, do you know what a Delaware Statutory Trust is? And everyone looks at us like we're crazy. Um, it, does not, it does not roll off the tongue very easy. Um, and it sounds really complicated, but it's not that scary. So I pulled down the book definition. So I'm going to read a little bit of that for us here. Basically, what a Delaware statutory trust is, is a legally recognized trust that's set up for the purpose of business, not necessarily in the U.S. state of Delaware. It may be referred to as unincorporated business trust or UBO. That doesn't tell us much. The next paragraph tells us a little bit more. Delaware statutory trusts are formed as private governing agreements under which either one property is held, managed, administered, invested in, or operate, or two, business or professional activities for profit are carried on by one or more trustees for the benefit of the trustor, entitled to a beneficial interest in the trust property. Now we're getting somewhere. It still sounds like a law book, but here's how this breaks down more simply is DST has a two-tier structure. Most of this is real estate, and the real estate sponsor, they're responsible for organizing the DST, finding a property, financing it, managing it, investors provide the equity capital. But otherwise, in this deal, are very passive. So that's a little bit more simple and straightforward definition. I think when people get a bit hung up here is on 
the terms Delaware statutory trust, they get a little bit hung up on that. And what we try to do is kind of remove that a bit and say, wait, this very simply, this is a syndicated type structure. It's two tiers. Here's a party doing this. And here's where you're doing that. Josh, you describe that differently for folks? No, I, very, very similar. I, I think depending on who you're talking to, it can be more or less confusing because of that trust word in the title, right? So I've presented, for example, to a number of law groups here in Kansas City where I'm based, and they immediately start asking questions about the trust. And I'm like, you know, this is about real estate. It's not about the trust itself, right? Then when you talk to real estate investors, all they want to know about is tell me about the structure as far as, as, a, as a passive real estate investment is. So I always tell people, separate that in your mind. You know, it a DST is a trust, a literal trust that was created to hold passive real estate mm -hmm. for investors. That's it. Um, and that, I think that's really all you need to know with respect to the trust in itself. Mm -hmm. And what I spend more time on is structure, how it works, how it holds the real estate, what you own as an investor in that piece of real estate. Yep. No, spot on, spot on. Um, and, and naturally, the next question I think I hear a lot too is, oh, it's a REIT. Like, no, it's not a REIT. And that's a common confusion point too, right? Well, how do you respond to folks who ask, hey, well, is this a REIT? Yeah, I get that question all the time. And I immediately tell them, no, it is, it is not a REIT. And to separate that in your mind from a DST. I think the easiest way to separate that is a REIT is, is an investment where you own a share of that REIT, like you would own a share of stock or a share of anything else. Um, in a REIT, it does own real estate inside of it. It's, you know, if it's a public REIT, you basically own a stock. If it's a private REIT, you, you own a percent or you own real estate in a sense, but what you own is a share of the fund that owns the real estate. And that share has a price and it's going to move around. A DST, you own the physical real estate. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's a single property or maybe it's multi-property in that DST, but you actually own the physical property itself mm -hmm. or a percentage of it. Mm -hmm. So physical real estate investment mm -hmm. separate the two and a big distinction here too is the the delaware statutory trust unlike the reit can be used in the 1031 exchange transaction the reit cannot Correct. even though these two things both have real estate inside of them in the eyes of the irs one is the view that you own it the delaware statutory trust the other is the view that you own equity in the reit so that's a big sort of distinction there between those two and that really is the purpose of the Delaware Statutory Trust, right? As it was founded in, I have the date here right in front of us, August 16th, 2004, the revenue bulletin was released that um, that allowed this to be a, a entity that could be used in a 1031 exchange transaction. Before that, um, people were doing these things called tenant in commons, right? And I think, I think you have some viewpoints on that. <laughs> Josh to share on the, the tenant and common, not to bash the structure, but um, advantages and disadvantages here for sure. Yeah, I mean, I have strong opinions on basically everything, but <laughs> ticks, you know, tenant common structures, we refer to them as a tick. Um, yeah, my, my experience with ticks early in my career 20 years ago was not great. Pros and cons at the end of the day. Let's Let's talk about what a tick is. Pre-DST, what you had, like you said, was these tick structures, tenant in common structures. And in a tick, you have a real estate sponsor, a real estate firm that's putting the deal together. 
they're going to bring in investors, put them in this tenant in common arrangement where everybody is basically a joint owner in the syndicated real estate deal. However, there's, there's pros and cons to that. Um, you know, for one, in the old tick structures back in the day, 15, 20, 25 years ago, you had to have everybody agree on everything, number one, and that's a problem. And I have some real personal family experience with this, um, as well as some past client experience with it. But everybody has to agree. That's that's problem number one. Uh, number two, the sponsor has to or will go raise the money first before they actually close on the property that they're going to put in there. That's a, That can be an issue. It's not always, but it can be. And number three, um, if they're going to put debt on it, they also won't be putting that debt on the deal until they close. So if you think about it, the, the agreement issue for everybody was always the issue that I saw with clients in the past. Mm-hmm. For example, I had a deal that I did not have any investors in, but I was looking at this deal because originally I considered it and we, we ran due diligence on it. And it was a piece of property in Colorado. It was a multifamily property. It was bought in... I think it was 05 or 06, somewhere in that time frame. The property, of course, if you remember that time frame, just went up and up in value. We get into late 07 and somebody made an unsolicited offer for this property mm. that was almost a double on the mm. money in three years. Very nice deal. Well, guess what happened? For, for ease of numbers, there was 20 investors, 19 agreed to sell. Mm. One person in that deal said, oh, if it's if it's worth that much, it's worth way more than that. And he blew up the sale. Uh, Fast forward to 08. We all know what happened in 08. Real estate crashes. They ended up having to do a defensive sale on the property and they sold it for a, a small loss. And they were fortunate to get out of a small loss. Yeah. But they but they missed that double, basically, which is super rare, I think, to happen in that type of property anyways. Point being when everybody has to agree that that was a problem. Now on the flip side of that, you've also got risks with closing, which is always my mm-hmm. concern in a tick today. Mm-hmm. Um, tick structures of today are, well, let me back up. There was also recourse debt on all ticks back in the day. Mm-hmm. So if there was debt and something went wrong, the investor's now on the hook for that debt. That's also mm-hmm. a problem. You could get a capital call. They want you to cough up money. And if you don't cough up money, it's going to, you know, lower your value really at the end of the day in that property. So those were issues, but the closing thing is always a problem, right? Um, I've got a client right now who is doing a partial 1031 exchange into a, a, for all intents and purposes, a tick. However, we're past the 45th day to identify on this 1031 exchange. The closing is not going to happen for another 60 days. Mm-hmm. My concern of course is, because the sponsor is raising money ahead of time, they can get to the end, they can do inspections, find a problem and back out of that deal mm-hmm. and walk away. Mm-hmm. And they would want to, because you don't want to invest in a, in a bad deal. Mm-hmm. However, now my client is, is kind of up a creek as far as the 1031 exchange goes. So we're trying to play the game of identifying backup property. You know, the farther out you go, the riskier that, that game gets. So, you know, do I think there's good deals in ticks? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, however, from a 1031 perspective, there's just a lot more hurdles you got you to gotta overcome to make it work at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. And so when I think about this, and and I think a clean way for someone new coming this to think about it is, what, tick, Delaware Statutory Trust, REIT, think about all these things as structures. They're just structures. They're agreements. They're 
in some cases partnerships, but they're just structures that hold real estate. And inside any of those structures, there can be there can be good deals. So we really have to take take this apart a little bit, do our work on the deal. Is that a good piece of real estate? Is that a good real estate deal? Yes, no. And then does the structure fit your situation? Yes, no. And so I think why we see the Delaware Statutory Trust is to meet this closing and timing issue that we watch clients sweat through every day, 45 days and 108 days, not a long time. And so the Delaware Statutory Trust is really created as, no, you don't have to worry about closing. They're waiting for you. They've already secured the deal. The deal's available. It's sitting here waiting for you to wire money, waiting for your closing, your time frame, not the other way around, or not a congruent time frame or a non-congruent time frame that you might be waiting for. That's not the case here with with the Dollar Statutory Trust. So, yeah, there's yeah, I'll add, differences. I'll add to that yeah. on the DSP, you know, and I'll qualify what I said. So, t- modern tick structures have gotten better. Certainly, you can get non-recourse debt in a tick. You can. There's a lot of improvements in a tick, mm-hmm. definitely. But in a DST, the DST sponsor has to go buy and close on that property first mm-hmm. before they offer interest to the public. If they're going to put debt on that deal in a DST, it has to be non-recourse by law, mm-hmm. and it also has to be in place. Yep. So when we look at DSTs for our clients and we run due diligence on these deals. We know exactly what we're looking at ahead of time. There's a benefit. And if we're going to place clients money from a 1031 exchange into a DST, you know, we know it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, we're not going to offer it to them. So there's a lot of risks that get removed. It simplifies life quite a bit in the exchange. Yeah, 100%. I want to cover, um, we went down the tick rabbit hole a little bit, but I took you there. So I'm glad you traveled down yeah, that. It's your fault. I'm going to yank you out of there for a second. I want to cover a couple more structural items around the DST so folks understand this, of how it's structured. There are these things called the, they're referred to as the seven deadly sins of, of DST or seven things that you must or must not do associated with this structure. So I want to run through those quick. Number one, once that offering is closed, there could be no future contribution to the DST by either current or new investors. So this means a couple things. Like when we talked about, you mentioned the capital calls in the tick, that's not something that we can do here. Once this structure is closed, it's closed. So we can't add investors to that to that piece. In turn with that, number two, the trustee can't renegotiate the terms of a loan and can't borrow new funds. So there are mechanisms inside the DST. It's probably good for another episode. There are mechanisms inside the DST that if something does go wrong, uh, there is a way to to sort of save that investment um, and to do a restructuring and to do a restructuring of that debt. Uh, we'll probably cover that another time. But understand here that the terms of the debt are, are locked in. So if there's 10-year debt on a DST, that DST needs to be sold by year 10. Um, in order for for that for that investment to to continue or to to full cycle, it has to do that. We can't go get more debt. So that's something that's definitely different and u- unique to the DST. Um, the trustee cannot reinvest the proceeds from the sale of its real estate. Can't do that. The trustee is limited to making capital expenditures with respect to the property for normal repair and maintenance, minor non-structural capital improvements, and those required by law. This is a very gray area that we see. It's why in a DST deal. We rarely see a traditional call it multifamily value add. It's very rare here because you can't do those structural component changes. And of course, you can't add new dollars here, right? So that really hampers the ability to do some of those deals. 
Um, so naturally what we see here is more um, stable assets that are cash flowing. So that one's a little bit, there's a little wiggle room in there. What's a minor non-structural capital improvement? Uh, it's not not defined very well, but you could think that, you know, painting some paint on the wall, it's okay. Um, building another building on the property is probably not all right to do inside <laughs> that structure. So it limits us a little bit. Any reserves or cash held between distribution dates can only be invested in short-term debt obligations. So very tight in what folks can do with the money that may be seen at the trust level. Um, the trustee can't enter into new leases or renegotiate current leases unless there is a need due to tenant bankruptcy or solvency. So there's a workaround there for multifamily, and that might be good for another episode because obviously your tenants are going to change. So no worries, you can't evict your tenants. Um, there is a workaround there. Um, but really here, there's I want folks to understand when they read or they listen to those seven things, this is a closed structure. It's closed loop. It's going to be there and in place for the duration of that investment until the sponsor has a decision to sell that. Any thoughts on those those seven? Did you just which ones pop up the most, Josh, when you're talking about this with clients? Well, the debt and the restructuring of debt that that is a giant red flag for us. Um, I personally think that debt restriction is one of the larger risks in a DST and in the strategy from a DST sponsor. We spend a lot of time asking sponsors right up front when we first look at a deal, if there's debt on that deal, what's your exit plan? And if we don't like the answer, we're walking away. We're not even gonna consider that deal. And if the sponsor hasn't thought about it, it's a giant red flag. Mm -hmm. um, granted, we are kind of planned for the worst case scenario type planners, but that's gotta be built into the strategy of the DST and that property. We need to know exactly you know how they bought it and how they're going to exit and sell and not run into that issue. And frankly, saving it for another episode, but we want to know that they know if they don't get it sold by year 10, for example, if you have 10 year debt, what their plan is going to be, because there's mm -hmm. really only a few options at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and if they don't understand those options, it's a giant red flag. So that that's a big one for me. Um, and then the leases is another one that pops up, particularly when we're talking about triple net lease deals, mm -hmm. triple net lease properties. Um, there's a big difference between DST sponsors in the triple net lease space who have experience and understand that mm -hmm. and those that don't. Mm -hmm. um, and that usually pops up pretty early in the conversation. So mm -hmm. those are the two biggies, I think. The rest of those, you know, I, I like, frankly, from a structural standpoint in the sense that it keeps it much simpler for us to do due diligence and be able to make good recommendations to a client because we know what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we're watching for those structural changes too, right? So we have seen DSD deals in the marketplace, unfortunately, that in our opinion, violate some of those rules. And so those mm -hmm. are immediate throwouts for us as well. So it helps to kind of call the herd a little bit and reduce some of the, the items we're looking at because they don't meet these requirements. Um, so very important thing to do. The worst thing that can happen when you're not meeting these requirements is you, you get audited. Um, the IRS looks at that structure and goes, sorry, that's a partnership, or sorry, you're actually in constructive receipt of these funds. And we've lost the entire purpose of why we're doing this is to, to defer tax and continue to grow wealth is eliminated. So that, you know, obviously the deal going bad is, is a risk point, but that is just as equally a risk point that this deal could be going great, but it may not be structured right. That would be a huge, huge problem that we're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to, we teased a little bit, so I want to save the rest for, for next episode. We'll talk about the advantages of a DST 
Um, so we'll walk through that top to bottom and show you why, why folks do this and why it makes sense. Um, and then we'll follow that up with disadvantages. So we won't be shy about telling you about the things that, that are risk points or things that folks don't like. So that's the structure. Josh, any closing thoughts? Um, you know, one thing I do with clients in the beginning, and I don't know if we've really hit on this from a front to back version of it is if I explain to a client what a DST is in a really short version of time, mm -hmm. I simply tell them it is, it is an investment structure that was built to hold passive real estate. It is 1031 exchange eligible. You can place your exchange proceeds into a DST. Once in there, the real estate sponsor is going to manage that property for a period of time. And then they're going to make an exit at some point down the road, at which point you get all of your money back based on the amount of equity you own, plus your share of any profits, hopefully. And then you have the option at that point to 1031 again, or really do whatever you want. Um, and I think it's important to talk about that or just state that because this whole, again, this whole concept of a DST and a trust and what is it, I always say, hey, look, it's simply a passive real estate vehicle that owns a passive piece of real estate that you can 1031 into. And then it's going to get managed. You're going to get cash flow, and you know through the way you own a piece of it, so you get your percentage of everything that comes off of that. You get your percentage of all the write-offs as well, depreciation coming through to you, mortgage interest coming through to you, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's going to get sold down the road, and you're going to get hopefully your money back plus some profit at that point. You own real estate that you don't have to do anything with. That's it. Yep. That's really what it is at, at the end of the day. No, this has been great, Josh. Thanks for thanks for the insight, no pun intended. And we'll look for thank you all for listening. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> terrible. Get better. So I'll get better with puns as we go. Um we'll we'll get better. We'll improve. We'll improve on the puns. But thank you everyone for listening. Um if you do want to have a conversation with us, um visit the website investwithinsight.com. You can talk to me or Josh um, about these issues. Until next time, we look forward to having you listen again. Take care. Thanks, everybody.